Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp to our feet. It gives us reason to hope and enlivens us in the darkest of times. Help us to hear it today. Open our hearts. We ask this, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Someone has written, the paradise of our security is suspended in a hell of global insecurity. One could characterize the national consciousness as a false sense of security. After all, we are surrounded by two oceans and the friendly nations of Canada and Mexico. We're the only one remaining superpower on the planet and we have the most advanced military. No worries, right? Ever since the disaster of 9-11, however, the national consciousness has changed. You Americans feel insecure? That's good. You're nervous? You should be. For the disasters of 9-11 were simply a small harbinger and foretaste of the terrible disasters to come upon all nations. Now, who would dare say such a thing about our country? Why would he say it? Was he some sort of a crazy person or an extremist bent on stirring up trouble? Actually, these are the words spoken by a now-retired professor at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. He preached these words within months after 9-11, almost 18 years ago now. And that professor was imagining how God might have addressed our nation in the aftermath of that terrible tragedy through a prophet like Obadiah. Obadiah's most important message was this. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. But when we understand it in the larger context of the Bible, that message is this. The day of the Lord is the day of salvation for all who pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so this morning we read the prophecy of Obadiah. The vision of Obadiah. This is a vision, a message the Holy Spirit has somehow given to Obadiah. He saw it, he heard it, he experienced it. This message is not Obadiah's tweet or opinion. The name Obadiah means serving Yahweh, the living God who revealed himself in person to Moses in a burning bush centuries before Obadiah's day. Obadiah here is simply reporting what God revealed to him. This is what the Sovereign Lord says about Edom. Well, who was Edom? Edom was a nation that occupied the southeast corner of the Dead Sea. Its people were descendants of Esau, older twin brother of Jacob, whose 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. Now remember how Jacob deceived his father 
and stole the blessing from his older brother, Esau? Well, just as Esau and Jacob did not get along, we find in Genesis, from Genesis on, the descendants of Esau and Jacob, they didn't get along well either. They fought bitterly at times during the centuries that would follow. And so Obadiah hears this, an envoy was sent to the nations to say, rise up, let us go against her, that is, Edom, for battle. Well, the Edomites had settled in high mountains, carving homes out of the rocks. Anyone here seen the Indiana Jones series of movies? You may remember this image. This is the treasury of Petra, or Sila, as it is called in the Bible. The Edomites developed legendary wisdom, a strong military, and formidable alliances with surrounding nations. The Edomites prospered economically by mining rich copper and iron deposits and controlling trade routes through the area. And as the result, the Edomites became a proud nation, great in its own eyes. The Lord God told the Israel, the Edomites rather, See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourselves, who can bring me down? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you, would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. And so the picture that Obadiah has painted by God for him of this nation, Edom, is that of a nation that literally believes it is on top of the world, able to defend itself against all enemies. And so God warns the Edomites, the pride of your heart has deceived you. Though you soar like the eagle, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. And how Esau will be ransacked all your allies, God says, will force you to you to the border. All your friends will deceive you and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, those of understanding in the mountains of Esau? Your warriors team in will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. God gives Obadiah the ability to witness Edom's destruction before it ever happened. The Edomites' allies would abandon them. The soldiers would be cut down by attacking enemies once thought to be friends. All their wealth would be taken from them. None of the vast knowledge they had accumulated would help them survive. What would provoke God? 
into taking such drastic action against the Edomites. Here's why. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof, while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You. Uh, going the wrong direction here. Got to press the right button here. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice in the people or over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. Now, Obadiah himself witnessed the Edomites' part in the destruction of Jerusalem in the year 586 and the years leading up to it. You may remember that a couple of weeks ago we talked about the prophet Habakkuk. And Habakkuk, about 20 years before, had prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem, not at the hands of the Assyrians, which they feared, but at the hands of the Babylonians. And it seems that Edomite soldiers had helped the Babylonians invading Jerusalem, first simply by standing back and watching and cheering the Babylonians on. And then the Edomites themselves entered the city to carry off Jerusalem's wealth like looters in a riot. Worst of all, as the citizens of Jerusalem tried to escape, the Edomites captured them or handed them over to the Babylonians or sold them into slavery or just murdered them because of the violence against your neighbor, your brother Jacob, God said to Edom, you will be destroyed forever. Now please notice that God is warning Edom before all of this would happen. We're talking about the God who says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their way and live. But what Obadiah hears from the Lord God will happen to the Edomites who do not repent of their wrongdoing. This points to a much larger truth, and that's this. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. This day of the Lord comes to America as it does to every other nation today, yesterday, and in the future. As one of our Bible teachers wrote in the 1950s, every judgment of God upon the wicked world is in a certain sense a foreshadowing of the great day of the Lord, whether it be the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C., or the annihilation of Edom only a few years later, or the fall of Babylon after that, or the Civil War, or World War I, or two. God says, as you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. And so God continues to remind us that 
God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. A nation reaps what it sows. God pictures the Edomites and all who oppose him as people who party hardy, celebrating the fall of Jerusalem. They drink themselves into unconscious oblivion and finally to self-destruction. And so he says, just as you drank on my holy hill, all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. And so the Edomites become representatives of pride that comes before the fall. They become an image of people who refuse to turn back to God in sorrow for their wrongdoing, who refuse to plead for his forgiveness, who refuse to live for him rather than in opposition to him. And we can learn this from the vocabulary of the Bible. The word Edom in the original Hebrew of the Old Testament uses the identical consonants that spell the word Adam. Adam represents all of humanity living in rebellion against God and his rule in their hearts. Edom's pride and fall becomes an image of the pride and fall of all nations. And so we must be aware of the fact that this short prophecy, 21 verses, the shortest book in the entire Old Testament, speaks to our day as well. God is expanding the meaning of this little prophecy to the world. And he warns the day of the Lord is near for all nations. But then, through Obadiah, God here pledges on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy, and Jacob will possess its inheritance. Like Job of old, God's people will be saved and received from his generosity far more than they ever lost to their enemies. And God will use his people to defeat every Esau, trying to separate them from God's never-failing love. Yes, Jacob will be a fire, and Joseph a flame. Esau will be stubble, and they will set him in fire and destroy him. There will be no survivors from Esau. The Lord has spoken. In other words, Esau, here Edom, will become a pile of ashes. Edom as a nation will cease to exist, and everything God's people, Jacob here, lost in the fall of Jerusalem, God will restore, and far more. Let's remember this graphic. Pastor Ryan has shown to us many times. Obadiah, too, is part of God's big story that details God's creation. Creation's fall when Adam sinned. God's work to redeem or rescue his creation. Work that he will finally complete when Jesus returns to restore all things to better the new condition. Like a graffiti artist, God through Obadiah paints a collection of images depicting how God will restore his people to the lands from which they were exiled by the Babylonians, exiled by the Assyrians before them, later exiled by the Romans, but most importantly, exiled by their own stubborn refusal to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. 
And so God promises, people from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau, and people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath. The exiles from Jerusalem who are in Sepharad will possess the towns of the Negev. On Mount Zion, he says back in verse 17, will be deliverance. And then in the final verse of his prophecy, he says, deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Now recall once again that Obadiah had witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. With his own eyes, Obadiah had seen the Edomites' spiteful part in the fall of that holy city. Nevertheless, God ends his message here, this revelation through Obadiah, with a message of hopeful promise, not only to those exiled from Jerusalem, but also to the Edomites and to all nations acting as God's enemies and the enemies of God's people. Here, Obadiah looks back to the time of the judges. During some 300 years critical to Israel's survival after the Exodus, God raised up judges, that is, deliverers, military leaders, who would save or deliver the Israelites out of the hand of enemies. Now, God had sent those enemies to wake people up from their sin and draw them back to him in repentance so he could forgive them. You might remember judges like Deborah or Samson and before him, Gideon. Obadiah also looks ahead to his own day and then to the prophets that come after him and then to Pentecost and the birth of the New Testament church. He looks ahead to our own day when deliverers will go up on Mount Zion, the great and glorious day of the Lord when Edom will judge, or rather be judged, for their disobedience to God, for their harm against their brother Jacob, that day will become a day of salvation to those who will turn to the Lord. That day will not only be one of judgment, but of salvation for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Well, where is this Mount Zion? Where is it? We call our church here Zion Congregation, right? Where is it? Is it over in Jerusalem? It is where God's word is proclaimed, where his sacrament is served according to his instruction. It is wherever the gospel is heard and believed by the power of the Holy Spirit. The New Testament church is the Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, from where comes the deliverer, Jesus Christ, the judge who became the judged. Remember, in Obadiah's prophecy, Edom represents all those who have not put their faith in the living God, the God who proves himself faithful. Just as there was conflict between Edom and Israel, between Esau and Jacob's descendants, before Obadiah's lifetime, there would be long after. 
And the most significant confrontations between these two, Esau and Jacob, took place soon after Jesus' birth in Bethlehem when Herod the Great sent soldiers to kill the baby Jesus. And then during Holy Week when that Herod's son Antipas interrogated and mocked Jesus. Both Herods were Idumeans or Edomites, descendants of Jacob. So these confrontations between Edom and Israel, between the Edomite Herods who murdered others to become king, and the promised Christ, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, how, how would these confrontations end? Well, last Sunday, we prayed the words of Psalm 41, and I was struck by verse 10. Verse 10 reads, Raise me up, that I may repay them, speaking of enemies. Well, John chapter 13 tells us that this psalm is about Jesus. Well, how would Jesus, God in Christ, repay his enemies? Hear how. He would become the deliverer. He would be the judge who became the judged. Jesus drank the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of God's wrath. Christ Jesus received at the cross his Father's blow of judgment against all nations, against all peoples, against Edom, against me, against you, against any human being who acts as God's enemy and the enemy of God's people. And that's why Jesus, the dying Jesus, would pray from the cross for all nations, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. So what can you and I learn from Obadiah? Could it be that the sibling rivalry between Esau and Jacob still plagues the Middle East today? And what about Europe and America, where we too fight over what to do with immigrants? But how often we are like my friend Chuck. Chuck was a survivor of the Bataan Death March during World War II. For the more than 15 years I knew Chuck, he struggled with hatred toward the Japanese. And in his struggle, I saw a sibling rivalry that continues around the world. If there is any truth to the Bible's teaching that all humanity is descended from the same two parents, are we not all of the same blood, all related, all siblings biologically? What about world events that seem ready to boil over at any moment? I read recently that there are 41 active wars being fought right now. I'm no prophet like Obadiah, but this much I know from Obadiah and others, the other prophets in the Bible. The living God in Christ, the deliverer, is in the pot stirring around the globe as he has always been. Well, will God deal with all evil and injustice? 
the British government recently issued a 176-page report saying that Christianity is by far the most persecuted religion on earth. It is no longer safe, for example, to be a Christian in China. The religious minorities there, including Christians, may be arrested and imprisoned in so-called thought transformation camps, where captives are re-educated to say what the Communist Party wants to hear. Well, how could my friend Chuck deal with his intense hatred for the Japanese? How are you and I to deal with our nation's part and the problems that go on around the world? How are we to pray for those persecuted in China and elsewhere, especially fellow Christians, before that persecution comes to our own doors? How? With the assurance the Holy Spirit gives us through Obadiah and the rest of the Bible. The assurance that God in Christ at the cross has already dealt decisively once and for all with the devil, the world, and our own sinfulness. With the assurance Christ himself gives us as he calls us to his table. And there our deliverer will serve us under bread and wine the very body and blood he gave and shed for us. With the assurance God the Father entrusts to us as he sends us out here as people who act as deliverers. Quite simply, anytime you tell someone why you put your life into the hands of Jesus Christ, you are acting as a deliverer. A deliverer that Obadiah describes in his prophecy. You are deliverers whenever you invite people to join you in praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Yes, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us go from here today to become deliverers to those we meet this week. Let us tell those who are upset by what they hear on the news. Let us tell those who are fearful of what they hear is happening. Let us tell those who are anxious about their lives, God does not forget those who turn to him for help. Things may get worse before they get better, but they will get better in his time, far better in his way. God has us in his merciful and gracious hands. The day of the Lord is the day not of our judgment, but of our salvation as we pray through faith in the crucified, risen, and ascended Christ Jesus. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.